to talk about something. But worship is fantastic. <laughs> worship it puts everything in perspective, and that's part of what I hope to do is just put some of what we call our everyday experience, put that a little bit in perspective. And I had, I had the privilege of speaking last week, and yes, we did talk about bifurcation. That was interesting. But I talked a little bit about it. I did speak a, a few weeks prior to that too, but just putting into context what is in our midst, what we see today, what we experience in our daily lives, and there's a lot going on, a lot to kind of work through in your head of exactly what is going on in this world. And I had pointed out, just going back to Genesis and the pattern in Scripture of what God's design was, which is families. And I talked about some of the attacks that's when he put forth a blueprint in Genesis and that blueprint was a way for the enemy now to undermine man, undermine man's dignity. You can think of gender, marriage, and now even an attack on the children. These are all just part of following the game plan in undermining the blueprint that God had in his word. And I told you, while we did that last week, I told you where I really wanted to get to was about the home. And I read this one sentence or a couple of sentences but I'm going to, they're going to put it up again, and this is where I want to go. So God showed his keen interest in families by forming the home before he made the church. He wants the same wonderful unity and that recognition of himself, which people expect to feel only in the church, to also be in the home. So I want to talk about that today. And if I had a title for this message, it would be Peace in the Home. Peace in the Home. So we're going to start off with a definition, <laughs> and, and it's not bifurcation or anything related. It's not a legal term, but it's the word peace. And if you, I look up things in the dictionary all the time because I find it fascinating. And if you look up the word peace in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, this is what the definition of peace is. A state of tranquility or quiet, as an example, freedom from civil disturbance. Freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Harmony in personal relations. This is the world's definition of peace. And if you were to study that definition, I think one of the things that would naturally rise up in you is say, yeah, I kind of want that. That sounds pretty good. That may not align with your experience in your home, or even in a workplace, or in whatever context you find yourself in. But all of these aspects of peace, which is tranquility, no civil disturbance, freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts, and harmony in personal relations, not only does it sound great, I think we can all agree that I think I would love that to be in my home. And why would I want that to be in my home? Well, it may not match my experience, but here's the thing about a home. A home is intended to be a refuge. A home is a place intended to be a place where you can recreate yourself. That out of all the things that you face, all the things that you have to deal with in this world, because to be sure, you will have trials, you will have temptations, you will have a lot of things coming against you, and there is, by design, what the enemy would love to do is to oppress you in so many different ways. The last place you'd want to experience that is in your home, because you deal with that outside. 
And so the desire to have peace in your home, I think, I would hope, would be somewhat uniform amongst all of us. And, you know, in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 33, this is something that it's been talked about over the last, I would say, five or six weeks, you know, with Clayton prior to him leaving on sabbatical. And he talked about the God is organizational, and he quoted 1 Corinthians 14, 33, is God is not a God of disorder, but of peace but of peace. And that word disorder you know, means instability, a state of disorder, disturbance, confusion, you know, in the Greek. That's what that word means. And you can say that disorder is simply a lack of order. And now, as we had kind of come to an agreement, that what we would desire is to have peace in our home so what we don't want is disorder or lack of order, because that would be in opposition of peace, as the word of God says. So order in the home is what we would desire should we agree that peace is our ultimate goal. And I'm just trying to build a framework and a structure for us to understand some of these concepts, because there are practicalities that come out of this. The word of God is not theoretical. The word of God is extremely practical. And how that intersects in your normal everyday life is the degree to which your theology becomes something that is part of you versus some idea. So God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So we want peace, so we don't want disorder. And order is a vehicle now of achieving peace. And order, in some of the definitions that we've been talking about, order would eliminate disturbance, oppressive thoughts, or emotions, and eliminate disharmony. So remember, just keep this in mind because when we talk about order, that's the context of the value of order. Right? Just keep that in mind because you might not like some of the things that I say, but just keep that in mind. So now the next question would be how is order produced? How is order produced? And I submit to you that order is produced by the proper execution of authority. And I could probably put a, a better label on that as positional authority. And as soon as I use the term authority, some of you might get this queasy feeling inside. Like literally squirming a little bit. Because the word authority in our culture is a tough word. The concept of authority just makes people uncomfortable. I, I've done, I like to read certain types of books, not legal books, by the way. I, I don't enjoy those at all. But, you know, I've, I've been part of a leadership structure for a little while, and sometimes you want to, like, learn about leadership for good reason. And can I tell you that it's really easy to find books on leadership, as in, there are countless numbers of books that have been written, written about leadership. But try and find books about authority, that's not going to sell. There are very few books written about authority, tons of books written about leadership. I find that interesting. And if I were to say, well, why is that the case? And I think part of it is cultural in Western culture, particularly the culture of this country. You see, 
authority makes people squirm in part, and part of the origin and the nature of our country is revolution. I mean, you can say whatever you want about this country, but if you're a citizen of this country, part of your DNA is rooted in revolution. I mean, I'm not going to apologize for it, that just is. And the notion of revolution as part of your DNA is in opposition to authority. Not, I'm not here to talk about the history of our country in great detail of, of how this all came to be, but that's just a fact. So here's the thing about authority and why people get uncomfortable about the word authority and even the notion of authority, because most people, by a natural gut reaction, mistake authority with tyranny. If you want to be honest about it, think about it. If you're uncomfortable with authority, typically the reason why you're comfortable with it because you think of authority going bad. That being now equivalent with tyranny. And to be sure, that is a possibility. To be sure. Because, and I've got a couple of bullet points up here, the poor exercise of authority can lead to tyranny. Absolutely true. And the abdication of authority leads to disorder. So, authority by positional authority is a tough concept for people because the risk is very real. And I'm not here to tell you those risks aren't real. I've said it to my boys, they can confirm this by the way, that you know, carrying authority is a strange thing. And there's a weight to carrying authority that is not to be trifled with. And I tell them, if you're in a position of authority and you make a wrong decision, people will pay. I, I didn't sugarcoat anything about what leadership and authority can lead to. Wrong decisions that are made by people in authority, people will pay. If you make good decisions, people will benefit. And I wish I could legislate those risks out and say that's not possible, but it is. And you have to be comfortable with that. And most people don't like the downside. If you want to be honest with the way we would naturally want to operate, it's let's kind of remove the downsides. Because there is risk, and I can't fully trust that we're not going to go down a path of destruction, I would rather not have that person carry authority. And that's why the, the fear of tyranny is such an acute issue. So authority in the Bible, and now I'm talking about positional authority, it does, you know, the word, and we're not going to go into an exhaustive study, but the word is exousia, which talks about the power of rule or government. It's a real thing. And as just a, a believer, you carry exousia-type authority in the context of the spirit realm. And authority, real positional authority in the Bible is defined by accountability. The centurion, and I quoted this before, but the centurion, when he defined his authority, he defined it, and this is in Matthew chapter 8, I don't know if I gave it to them, but he says, when he talked about his authority, this is the way he characterized it. He says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. 
So he recognized his position of authority by position, and the way he chose to define it that the degree to which I carry authority is defined in the context of my accountability to higher authority. That's the way he defined it. And that is an excellent way to appreciate and embody principles of authority. So having said that, who's in authority in your home? I would expect a lot of silence on that, by the way. So, we're going to talk about this. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, it says this. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That's relatively unambiguous. And with the very context of people being uncomfortable about authority, that probably is making you squirm like to the nth degree now. And I have a little bit of a picture here that is embodying this verse, so they, they can throw it up, and it's just showing this chain of positional authority, which is God, Christ, husband, wife, children. That's just what the verse is describing. This is an authority structure that was put in by God. And hear me when I say this, you may not agree with me, you may not agree with what the Bible is stating, but should this be the legitimate authority instituted by God, no one is authorized to set this legitimate authority aside. No one. We are going to get to implications of this, to be sure. But I'm, I do want to talk about the home. And until you can understand what an authority structure is in the home, you can't understand, I can't even talk to you about rebellion. Now, rebellion is a horrific situation, and nobody desires rebellion. And I hope you can agree with me, and this is a very theoretical concept, I admit. But you can't even define rebellion unless you can define authority. Because rebellion rebels against authority. So if there's no authority structure, by definition, there's no rebellion. And yet we all know what rebellion looks like. Nobody's comfortable with rebellion. I don't like rebellion. I've had it in my house. And I do my best to stamp it out. But we're going to talk about rebellion in the context of authority. And I know this is a very structural part, but we'll get into the heart behind all of this. But I have to lay a foundation of structure. So I have another chart that talks about, that shows you what rebellion looks like in the context of authority. So let me walk you through what, this is my figure, I didn't, I came up with this to try and put into picture form something that, for people that are visual, now you can see it a little bit easier. So we have an authority structure, God, Christ, husband, wife, children. And what is rebellion in the context of this authority structure? Well, what rebellion, and rebellion can happen in many ways, and the most common ways that rebellion happens is that there's typically hurt or rejection and when hurt or rejection happens, you typically have what I label just as an offended party. These are the mechanics of what it looks like for somebody to 
in a sense, begin to rebel. But what is really going on? Like, what, like I use the term rebellion, and we kind of instinctively know we probably in and of ourselves, we've been the ones rebelling in the past. But what is really rebellion? Rebellion really is now to push off legitimate authority and set yourself under illegitimate authority. That's what rebellion really is. Like, well, what do I mean by that? Oftentimes, illegitimate authority, you set yourself up as authority. That's very commonly what happens. But there is an illegitimate power that is looking to establish illegitimate authority. And rebellion in the context of home is very much something that now invokes the imposition of an illegitimate authority in the home. And that now, and I think you can understand what, what I'm saying by this, is that the illegitimate authority is not from God. So as soon as I say that, so where is illegitimate authority coming from? It's from the evil one. That the power of the evil one would desire to establish in the home an illegitimate authority, and that's the context of rebellion. And rebellion, when rebellion occurs, what happens in the home is disharmony. And disharmony in the home is not God's desire. It's just not. And I have an interest in our home and your homes to see peace. And I can't get to peace until we start examining authority structures. I kind of chuckle at this in part because I know this might, in your mind, having a lot of thoughts come to your head in terms of whether what I'm talking about you really agree with. And that's okay. That's why I'm talking about it. So we talked about now order, we talked about peace in the home, that's our desire. The vehicle to achieve peace in the home is order in the home. And now the more important question, which is really getting to the heart behind the authority structures, is now what I refer to as dominion in the home. And here, I very dryly went through an authority structure, but there was a context. And the context of the authority structure as a vehicle for peace was to remove things like disharmony, contention. That's the whole value of the order structure. But the legitimate authority, which is that chain from God ultimately down to the children, legitimate authority ushers in God's intention. And that intention is the domain of the king, the very kingdom of God. So while you would be tempted to look at what I put on as an authority structure and think of organizational charts and something that's entirely devoid of heart, there is a structure, but there is very much a heart behind all of this. And that heart is the intention of the king. That's the heart. And this is so far beyond the mechanics of what you can term delegated authority. And to appreciate that, you know, I was reading in this book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And what he did extremely, extremely well, and he lived in a time, by the way, in Nazi Germany dealing with Hitler. 
And there are very real implications of where he, his discipleship took him in that historical context. But while you would be tempted to look at an organizational structure that I impose regarding authority in the home and think of it somewhat dryly, appreciate the context of somebody coming in under the lordship of Christ. Each of us were called. Each of us were called by him. And he, he had this statement that encapsulates some of what I hope to impart to you in terms of how this operates by heart. And he says, Jesus summons us to follow him not as a teacher or a pattern of the good life, but as the Christ, the Son of God. That is the context of us relating to Christ. It's a call. And if you're a believer, you accepted that call. It's a living relationship, not of servitude, per se, the way we think organizationally and hierarchically, but as one of carrying his very intention into the context we find ourselves operating. And parenting is in the context of discipleship, which is why, you know, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that, you know, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And it is in the context of our discipleship with Christ is the degree to which we now operate into this context. There is accountability, to be sure, when we're talking about authority structures. You know, we as, you know, the eldership here, we recognize that we must give an account to the chief shepherd. That's First Peter 5. And parents and husbands in this context will give an account to Jesus in fulfilling God's intention for the home. I'd be lying to you if I told you that that wasn't true. See, the home is far more than a chain of command. It's far more than that. There are elements of that that are real. But when you think of the very kingdom intention that God instituted in a family and putting children under the care of parents, ah, now we can better fully realize the intention that God has of this structure. And as parents, we give an account to that. We do. You know, in Genesis 18, 19, uh, last week or the previous week, you know, we talked about Abraham and why, why was God so impressed with Abraham? In 18, Genesis 18, 19, it says, For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteous and justice. Again, in the context of discipleship, And follow me as I follow Christ. And the children coming in under that, the intention of God in how he saw Abraham's role was to facilitate the next generation as a continual pattern of a people aligned with the, with the ways of God. And we talked about 
training up your child, Proverbs 22, 6, train up the child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he shall not depart from it. And we all know that verse. But if we can think about the practicalities of training kids, and I, I have a real demonstration of that ongoing in my life because I'm a grandparent. I have one grandchild, and appreciate the fact that, you know, training in the context of the ways of God, you cannot guarantee two generations down the road. You cannot. As a parent, I can train my children, and the degree to which I train my children is the degree to which they will train their children. Which is why in the history of scriptures, if you look at it, a, a people can go awry and astray within two generations. It's happened. It will happen. Because I cannot, to, to the degree that I've trained my kids is the only degree to which I can reach my grandchildren. And if I, what I, and they, you know, children, they catch what you have. They don't, in a sense, subscribe so much to teaching. It's a value question. That's why discipleship was the key. And I can, I can talk whatever game I want to talk, but who I am, that's eventually what they catch. And training is just a part of that process. But it's all under the, the authority structure in the home. And it's such a unique situation that we have, especially in our county and the current context of today and I mentioned this last time is that you know training up your child is just the word dedication and you're initiating for use and if you don't do that somebody will and that's this very strange situation we find in our societal context in this county there is a battle for the hearts of the children and we as parents get to play our part. And we will give an account to that. So why? 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 I've, I spent some time talking about something that is somewhat dry, which is authority structures. And I hope you're asking yourself the question, why? Because that's all true. But there's an intention behind this in terms of God's perspective. And as I said, you know, parental oversight and authority was designed to usher in God's intention to your home. And God's intention to your home is about the children. And what I found in myself thinking about quite a bit, you know, where it says in Malachi chapter 4, like the last recorded words, you know, before... 400 years of silence in terms of the prophets. It's talking about turning the hearts of the fathers to the children and turning the hearts of the children to the fathers. And that very concept has been rattling around in my head because I, I just believe that that is part of where we are. And everything that I can do to further that, I will do. Because the stakes are quite high. 
I don't know why. I can't tell you the reasons why we find ourselves in the situation that we do from a societal context. But there's some aspect of families and the home and the children that has just captured my heart. You know, a few years ago, I found myself in this situation, and looking back, it's one of those things that I, I kind of chuckle about because I didn't realize it at the time, but it's putting into, it's demonstrating some of what I've been trying to tell you, is that, but a few years ago, I was sitting down in my kitchen, and there was a young gal that came in, she was part of a ministry team that my son was part of as well. And she was trying to make a very big decision for her life related to things of her future, possibly ministry. And she sat down at my kitchen table and she looked at me and she said, as she's weighing out all the pros and cons and different things of her decision, and she just said, you know, do you have a word for me? And after I laughed, because that's not really my primary thing, but... But I just began to speak to her about her situation. And what I found coming out of my mouth, I'd never said to anybody in the past. But what I just started to speak to her was about her parents. And the only thought I had in my head in terms of practical wisdom for her was, and I did ask her, like, well, have you talked to your parents? And she kind of did. And they have a great home, by the way. But the implication of what she told me, I'm like, there wasn't the full, I was not picking up a full sense of trust in wanting to hear her parents. And so what I began to do was talk to her about her parents' view of her. And what I told her was this. I said, you know, when your parents look at you, and I think she was maybe at that time about 22 or 23. I said, when your parents look at you, they don't see you as a 22-year-old. And she looked at me like, what are you talking about? I mean, that's my age. And I said, yeah, you are 22, 23. I said, but that's not the way your parents look at you. You see, when your parents look at you, because they love God, and they carried in their heart something of their daughter, and I said, so I said, when your parents look at you, they see you before you were born. They see you the day you were born. Sorry. They see you when you're two, when you're five, a teenager. They see you in your present, and they see you in your future.
because I know they carried in their heart the intention of the king for their daughter. And as I thought back to that time, I realized in the art of God what was going on. Looking back, now I have a different kind of perspective. That just happened in the moment. And I realized that what I was doing is just doing the best that I knew to turn the hearts of the children to their parents. That's it. That while there was nothing overtly wrong, there was still an element of not being sure about the heart of the parent to the child. Nobody's fault. But as parents, parenting is really hard. Can I just say that up front? It's really hard. There's not one person I've ever met that has felt like they're just crushing this thing called parenting. I just have not, I don't ever feel that way. I've never heard anybody feel, articulate anything remotely to that. Parenting is extremely difficult. And most parents I've met feel like at some level they've failed, myself included. And my perspective of parenting is this. I have talked to many parents along the way and I've been continually amazed at what they tell me about some of the things they've done with the children to the degree I'm like, my, that's amazing. I wish I had done that. Like, how did I not think to do some of that? And they're just being who they are and what they've done as a parent while they don't think they've done an amazing job is to do something of brilliance and of beauty and all just carrying the heart of the king's attention for their child. Just being who they are. And we find ourselves in the season that most of the voices that you're hearing are to denigrate, in a sense, the role of parents and the effectiveness of parents. And yet, what parents carry is the heart of God, seeing something so far beyond the parent. You can't look at your child and not see the fullness of God's intention for that child before they were born and God gave you a name. Before they were born, God's instilling in you something of the prophetic looking into the future of a hope and a dream. And you carry that throughout their life. And that's the heart that you carry. Turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and turning turn the hearts of the children to the fathers and the parents. The whole of our societal structure and the risk that we currently face in the homes is one of rebellion. And rebellion, as I said, is just a casting off of legitimate authority to put in its place illegitimate authority. That's all it is. 
and the entire agenda of having rebellion rise up in homes is to cut off from the child the very people, their parents, that are designed to carry in their hearts the very intention of the king to see it fulfilled. To see it fulfilled. That's what it is. The home can be a place of tenderness, love, and comfort. And all too often what we see today is war. Fighting, hatred, abuse. It's just all too common, sadly. And what I'm trusting for us as a people it's not about what you should do or not do. Just don't hear that. I did have to talk about authority. But the heart of it, which is where I'm at in trying to express and have it in some way, shape, or form just be part of how we do life, is to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and to turn the hearts of the children to the parents. That's it. And I trust I, by what I shared, would be somewhat of an encouragement to you in appreciating the role that you have, the heart of the king that you carry, and the vitality of that role in seeing God's intention fulfilled. That's my only goal. And it's all in the context of a home. Just a home. If I have a hope for us in our togetherness, when you think of homes and you think of parenting and children, salt and light, it's all it is. It's all you are. It's all you can be, hope to become. Which is that as... Rebellion is all too common, almost expected in most homes. And as we see the dominion of God enter in, which is just his intention, via order, peace will arise. And when people come to your homes, they're going to pick that up. They will. Because that might be entirely unrelated to their current experience of what their home life is like. And that is practically becoming just salt and light. That's what it looks like. And that is my encouragement to you. Peace in the home. It's going to be accomplished via order in the home. Order in the home is going to be accomplished by his dominion in the home. And that's carrying God's intention into your home as his represented through a discipleship context. That's just to summarize the framework and the structure that I'm trying to give to you. But I hope, aside from the practical structural elements that I gave to you, what I hope to have also communicated to you was the very heart behind it. And that is a much more difficult thing to accomplish. But that is, 
I believe I get to ha have a chance to be in with the children next week. And I'm just doing kind of the opposite side of this. I'm, I get the privilege to do both sides, talking to parents and also talking to the children. And I can tell, I don't know what I'm going to do next week, but my intention is always just to turn their hearts to their parents. They need you. They cannot become what God intends for them to become without you. You might think that you are entirely incapable or by history not well qualified. God put those children in your home because of the uniqueness of who you are. That's part of the equation. It just is. And I just want to encourage you in that. So if you would, why don't you stand? I'm just going to pray to end. Yeah. Lord Jesus, it always has been about you. And when you walked this earth, you so delighted to take children into your arms, lay your hands on them, and bless them. That was what you desired and so loved to do. And I pray for us as stewards of your most precious little ones. And I just speak over the homes and of the parents of those children. And I just speak blessing and a peace upon them for what they carry of your intention for those children. Lord, I bless them. I just bless their very thought life right now. I just cancel and remove any form of condemnation of the past. I just cut that off right now in the name of Jesus. And over their very thought life, I bless. And I say, Lord, by your spirit, that you would just reveal just a heart and the intention of what you want to see transpire. I pray for practical wisdom for all of us in parenting. Just practical wisdom. Even release strategies to turn situations around. I ask for that in the name of Jesus, by the very Spirit of God, I just release practical wisdom and strategy. We need it, oh Lord. I thank you for the children. I do. I thank you for the children. And we pray, Lord, just a blessing and a protection over them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Great job, Dwayne. All right, thanks for visiting with us. Again, visitors, please make sure you get that uh, gift bag on the way out. We're going to have a ministry team over here ready to pray for anybody that would like prayer for anything. And otherwise, we will see you next week. Bye. Good morning, Free Life Church, and happy Sunday. We are glad you've joined us today. 
We would love to connect with you. Connection cards are a great way to let us know if you're new to us, any needs or comments you may have, or how we can simply connect with you. To submit a card, scan the QR code on the back of the seat or visit the Connect page on our website. If you are a first-time visitor, please stop by the Connection Corner in the lobby to receive your welcome bag. We look forward to meeting you. On Saturday, September 3rd, Tara Green will be teaching an interactive and practical overview of Jesus as my everyday life. This class is for anyone wanting to grow in their understanding of God and learn how to walk alongside the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to bring lasting fruit to your life. Come get unstuck and let go of the hurt that is holding you back and learn how to live a full life in Christ. Space is limited, so sign up today. For more information or to register, visit our events page on our website. Our next encounter night is coming up on Saturday, September 10th at 6.30 p.m. Plan to join us for a wonderful evening of spirit-led worship. Childcare is provided. Here at Free Life, we believe in kingdom giving and we invite you to give toward the work God is doing. The easiest way to give is by scanning the QR code here with your mobile device. Checks or cash may be dropped in the connect box at the back of the sanctuary. Thank you for your partnership with us. Stay informed of upcoming events and important announcements by signing up for text updates and our newsletter. Simply text Free Life to 41400 to sign up. Remember, to learn about all of our upcoming events, please see the events page on our website. Thanks for joining us today.